0: Turn to Colossians 4 verses 7 through 18. Colossians 4 verses 7 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, you can look on with someone next to you. Also, uh, one thing that we've been reiterating over and over again is we have a mobile app, and you can go uh, search uh, HMCC on the App Store or the Google Play Store, and you can follow along with our sermon notes. You just click on Ultimate, and then there's going to be part, I think this is part 8 now, and you can follow along. There's going to be fill in the blanks, things like that for you to uh, follow along the sermon with. So, Just wanted to get started with a question for us this morning. And the question is, when is the last time that you stood up for someone? You stood up for someone. Whether it was an injustice, a situation that someone was being taken advantage of, or abused in some kind of way. When was the last time you or you saw someone stand up for another person? Even though it was unpopular, maybe it was uncomfortable, Maybe you don't feel like it was relevant or your business to be part of that. It might be hard to think of a situation. It might be difficult. Maybe it happened last week. But for many of us, there's so many things going on in our lives. You know, like students' finals, right, coming up very soon. If you're UST, you still have like another two months. I don't know what happens with your school, but (laughs) something happens a little bit later, right? Right? Uh, working adults, like April, especially if you're, like, an accountant or something like that, tax audit season, working adults, like, projects somehow, they always ramp up at the end of the quarter, right, when, when April hits, and then, you know, we're trying to meet all these deadlines, all these goals, and it just all of a sudden becomes, it's like you had nothing to do for the last couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden, boom, it just gets crazy busy. And then, you know, once in a while, we'll see, like, a video, or we'll see someone do something, and we're like, we get really inspired. We're like, wow, that's so amazing. I want to make an impact on someone's life. I want to be like that. And, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all want to make an impact. We all want to make a difference. We all want the time that we spend, the money that we earn, the talents and the gifts that we have, to make a difference in someone's life, in some way, shape, or form. But the problem is, we always go back to our normal lives, and somehow we don't end up doing that. We end up being consumed so much with our day-to-day. And we we always live in the shadow of those amazing people who somehow are able to do some incredible things. So the question is, what allows some people to actually stand out when others can't? What is it that allows someone to make an impact where so many others have not? I wanted to show a video of a, it's its one of those, uh, what would you do situations, right? I think so many of us are like, oh yeah, if I was in, I can't wait to be in one of those situations where there's like hidden cameras and like there's some crazy injustice happened and I say the right thing, you know, like and I'm on TV and I'm a celebrity and all this kind of stuff. You know, we want to be that way, but oftentimes it's harder than we think. I wanted to show you one of those videos. It's actually of a situation where there's a, there's a hidden camera crew. It's a What Would You Do TV series, and it's about a, and there are two actors, it's about a US soldier from the United States in a shop uh, confronting someone who is a bit of a racist against Muslims. And just some background for those of you who've never been to the US, especially in recent history, uh, there's been a lot of uh, racial injustices, there's been a lot of racial profiling, there's been a lot of conflict, and, and especially. You know, people from the Middle East or any of those who have the Muslim faith are oftentimes very um, uh, hated on in many ways. But we want to show this video and just want to understand, like, what is it that causes this soldier, who oftentimes in in the U.S., oftentimes soldiers are seen as those who are actually fighting against terrorists or Muslims or whatever it is in, in that kind of stereotypical way. What is it that causes him to actually stand up for this person? So let's watch this video together. All right, very patriotic, uh, soldier. If you're an American, you're an American, right? <laughs> I, I think when I when I watched it, I was like, you know, putting myself in those shoes, like, would I do that? Would I, I mean, he was pretty strong. He was like, get out, you know? Like, you don't belong in this place. And he's wearing this, like, God Bless America t-shirt, <laughs> and like, a little bit embarrassed if that was real. Or, you know, we can imagine that might actually happen. And, and for the soldier, I was like, oh, what is it that really causes him to stand up And to say something. When you notice in the video, there are a lot of other people there. There are so many other people who could have stood up, said something, did something. But why was it that it was the soldier of all people who was the one to stand up and to say something? In fact, he might have served. Who knows? He might have served in a place where he did have to fight against those of the Muslim faith. Who so-called Muslims who believed in violence or whatever. And, and I realized one thing that he said at the end was he, he was saying, if, what principles are you, are you working off of? He said, you know, the principle that everyone has inalienable rights. If you're an American, you're an American. And what enabled him to stand up and do something is because he had foundational values that he believed in. It's because there was some kind of belief system, some kind of values that he operated on that allowed him to say, this is not okay. And because it's not okay, then I want to do something. I want to make an impact on this person. He didn't have to do anything. He could have just left it. It didn't didn't have to do with him. None of his business. But because of who he was and what he stood for, that's what caused him to make an impact on this person's life. And for many of us, we realize making an impact is so difficult. I'm wondering if it's because we don't know what foundation we stand on. I'm wondering if if we really believed in Christ, we really understand who Christ is and the values that he stood for, that we would actually be able to make a lasting impact on people's lives. But the problem is, day to day, we don't. Week to week, we go about our lives and we live just the same way as anyone else in the world. And so there's so many opportunities every single day that we miss out on to show the world who Christ is. And so we want to talk about, even for Paul, as he goes through this letter, he mentions some people that were in his life that helped him to make an impact, that made a lasting impact on his life and also his ministry. And so I want to give us the one thing for this morning. The one thing is that those who make a lasting impact are those who make Christ ultimate. Those who make a lasting impact are those who make Christ ultimate. And I want to argue today that through these people and through the examples of people that Paul partnered with, that he ministered together with, that you can't really make an impact unless Christ is your ultimate foundation. Unless Christ is your ultimate foundation. So I'm going to give three examples or three traits of people that made an impact in Paul's life and really show how that is maybe a guideline or actually an illustration of how we can then also learn to make an impact. So the first point I wanted to share is people who encourage. So what kind of person will make an impact, a lasting impact for Christ? And the first is people who encourage. Like I mentioned, this is passage, it's a list of people that made an impact in Paul's life, whether they directly helped him in his ministry or indirectly, or they were just an encouragement to him. And interestingly enough, It's people that were an encouragement to Paul that made an impact in his life. And the reason why I say it's interesting because I think for many of us, like, we've read, if we've read through Paul's letters, Paul's like one of those, like, he's like one of those, like, gung ho, like, people who are, like, crazy. You think Paul's, like, crazy because, like, in his letters, he's like, I will live or die for Christ, you know? It doesn't matter if I live or die, you know? I'm just going to live for Christ. And you're like, Paul doesn't need any encouragement, you know? I need it. Paul, give me some encouragement. But all all Paul tells us to do is, like, die for Christ, you know? It's like, come on, Paul, give us a break. You know, but actually Paul talks about people who have been an encouragement to him that allows him to persevere and push on. So I want to read verses 7 and 9. Hopefully you've turned to Colossians 4 and read on with me verses 7 to 9. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So as we look here, Paul is describing two people that were related to this idea of being an encouragement. Paul gives Tychicus and Onesimus two purposes, and those purposes are reveal how they were people of encouragement. The first purpose was to tell them how Paul is, just how he's doing, and what has happened in his life. How Paul is and what has happened in his life. The first person, let's look at Tychicus, right? Tychicus, sometimes I like just saying that word, Tychicus, it's very interesting. He's Paul's companion. And in Acts 20, he's Paul's companion from Corinth. So Paul at some time was in the city of Corinth on his way back to Jerusalem from the third missionary journey. So Tychicus was oftentimes uh, Paul's person, his go-to person to go and to report different things to different churches as Paul was traveling. So Tychicus was sent to Ephesus also to encourage the church there. In verse 8, he says, the purpose is, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are. And I think there's something in me that I was like, okay, so what? He's just telling you how Paul is. Is Paul happy? Is Paul sad? Is Paul like you know having a great time? Like what? Why why is that important? And why should I even care about that? And and to be honest, like for me, when I was thinking about this, I was like, why do I need to tell people how I'm doing? You know, it's like it seems so irrelevant sometimes, and I feel like it's so unnecessary. Right, like especially because I'm really introverted. Most people that know me, that I'm close with, they're like, "Why don't you ever share anything with me? Like you're struggling and you never tell me anything." You know, and I'm like, "Oh, I just don't like sharing my life with people. Like, how is it going to help? It's not going to be an encouragement to anyone." You know, introverts, give me an amen. Yeah, you could tell no one really wants an amen because they're introverted, right? Extroverts, amen. Okay, there we go. There's a there's a big difference, right? <laughs> I don't naturally want to share about what's going on in my life. It's just not natural. For some of you extroverts, maybe it's very natural. Like, you, you come in uninvited and you're like, hey, tell, let me hear, let me tell you about all the things that happened to me today. I'm like, okay. <laughs> let me be patient. No, but for some of us, it's not natural. It doesn't make sense. Like, why would I want to share the things that are going on in my life? Especially if they're not well, if it's not good news. And if we look in this passage, where is Paul? From our background, we learned, I think, a couple weeks ago when Pastor Seth gave the background of the book of Colossians, Paul was in prison. So Paul's right here saying, like, Tychicus is going to tell you about how I'm doing. In parentheses, in prison. How I'm suffering. And earlier he says, pray for me that I can eventually get out and preach the gospel. But clearly, Paul, you know, he feels restrained because he hasn't been able to go out and preach the gospel. So oftentimes, I feel like many of us, we feel like there's nothing good to share. We're struggling. So why is it that I would need to share about anything? How is that an encouragement to anyone, especially if I'm struggling, especially if I'm going through something difficult? Well, Paul challenges us. He says, if we have the perspective that Christ is our ultimate, and if your situation, your difficulty, your struggle, somehow it advances God's kingdom, maybe you don't see it, but somehow in the future advances God's kingdom, then it is a good thing to share, to encourage someone with. I'm going to read for us Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. In this book, Paul is also the author, and he's also in prison. And this is what he says in the New Living Translation. He says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. That's crazy. Because of his imprisonment, because Paul is suffering and he's dying in prison, therefore somehow the believers have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. That's total perspective change to what we're used to. And most of us, we feel like, oh, I'm struggling, and I'm going through stuff, and I cannot see beyond, like, today or tomorrow, because everything just looks like it's going to suck. But somehow Paul is able to have and shift our perspective to say, you know, I'm going through the worst of circumstances right now, but somehow I can see how God is using that to embolden other people. How many of us, we have that perspective that every struggle I go through if God is sovereign in my life, God is somehow going to use it for good. God is somehow going to use my weaknesses, my issues, to magnify his purposes and his glory. Many of us, we've really struggled to see that. Some of us, we've memorized 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. Missions team, where are you? Or maybe you haven't memorized it yet, so there's grace. And then, therefore, in this moment, you will boast in your weaknesses, Right? So that the power of Christ can rest upon you. It's in our weaknesses that magnifies God that much more. If, if the only thing that we shared are all the great things in life, then who gets the glory? You do, not God. If the only thing you post on Instagram are these amazing portrait photos, what, what is that effect called? The bokeh effect? I'm like oh wow it's so nice I have this new camera that could do the bouquet, and so your Instagram like is like lighting up like wow I got so many likes and everything on your Instagram feed is like this perfect like picture of your life, and then all your all your friends are coming it's like wow so amazing wow you look so pretty and like wow so awesome, but de- deep inside you're like wow I'm I'm struggling so much right now. Isn't that ironic, the more you present yourself as great, put together, nice looking, that sometimes it's actually killing you inside more? But what would it be like if we presented ourselves in, in the brokenness that we are, in the hardship that we experience, and let God be the one who is magnified, who is glorified, who somehow works all things for our good, and shows us that we We're an encouragement not because we're doing so great, but it's because we're not doing great and God does something through our lives that makes an encouragement to people. I'm wondering if we can have that perspective. So Paul tells them, your encouragement is by sharing how we're doing, what has happened, but not only that, but the purpose that Tychicus and Onesimus had was also to encourage the hearts of the Colossian church, to encourage Their hearts. According to Strong's Concordance, the word encourage means to strengthen or to comfort. And many of us are like, yes, I want comfort. You know, like, please comfort me. You know, hey, brother, hey, sister, I need a hug right now. Please, will you? You know, I'm struggling. And sometimes when we think about encouragement and comfort, we're like, you know, I just need someone to, like, just. Tell me how much God loves me right now. I just need someone to tell me like how cared for I am. I just need someone to serve me right now because just everything's not going well. But when we look at Onesimus, and there's a specific reason why Paul mentions this person. Onesimus, he he was a person traveling with Tychicus. That's why he says Tychicus and Onesimus will come and share with you. And he's traveling with Tychicus from Paul, and Paul is sending him back. And Paul in this, he says, Paul says Onesimus is a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. A faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. Some of you may remember who Onesimus is, and he was actually mentioned in the book of Philemon or Philemon or whatever you want to call him. And if you remember that book, if you remember what Paul says is Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. Actually, he ran away from Philemon, and he got into trouble, and then got arrested, and got thrown into jail. And then somehow, he met Paul in jail. And you know what happens when you meet Paul in jail, right? You like experience the glory of God, and then you surrender your life to Jesus, and you say the sinner's prayer, and then you become Christian. Now, that's what always happens when you meet Paul in jail. We should all just, we should all just meet Paul in jail, right? Okay. Just, just kidding. Onesimus becomes a believer... And then what happens? Paul now calls him. He's no longer this broken slave running away who did this crime. He is now a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. And guess what church Philemon was from? The Colossian church. In fact, most likely the Colossian church met at Philemon's house. And so Paul is writing this letter to the Colossian church, to Philemon, and saying, Onesimus, your slave who ran away, who did all the stuff against you, is now coming back, and now he's a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He's gonna bring good news about me to you. If I were Philemon, I'd be like, who are, like, hex no, you know? Like, channel your inner Beyonce, like, huh, like, no. Like, no way. Like, this person used to be my slave. How am I going to, like, treat him as my brother? He's now bringing this news from you? Now, it's kind of like indirect rebuke. And this is the encouragement that Onesimus, can you imagine if you're Onesimus, you're like, oh my gosh, like, I have to go to my previous slave owner, and now I have to Semi-indirectly rebuke him, like because I am now a brother with Paul, and like you know all this kind of stuff. You know how is that encouragement at all? And Paul's like, go Onesimus, encourage Paul. You know, encourage Philemon. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And and for most of us, when we think about encouragement, we think like, oh, it's like say something really nice. You know, like help that person. Just you know, like. Come alongside them, which is great, and we need people like that. We need those times when we're suffering and we're going through hardships and time. We just need people to come alongside us and walk with us. But how many of us, we realize that sometimes the best comfort that we need is actually the truth of who God is, and the challenge to think outside of ourselves, the challenge to think, wow, you know, actually God is so much bigger, and he does something so much outside of my perspective, and it's not about me anymore. You know, like, <clears throat> oftentimes we want, like, those nice people, and you're, like, complaining, you're talking with your friend, and you're, like, oh, my God, this person's so annoying. You're know, you just, like, venting to your friend, like, OMG, this, like, group or this colleague that always gets on my nerves, you know, like, they're so annoying, right? Like, why do they do that? And, like, you're sharing that because you want that person to be, like, yeah, I know, right? Like, that's such a horrible person, you know? And, like, it's, like, the worst when that person, like, You know, they kind of like stab you in the, in the back, in the side, or they say something like, in a really, really nice voice. They're like, yeah, but we're all sinners, right? So, uh, we can extend grace. Like, if we're forgiven, then you should forgive that person too. And you just give that person like a dirty look. Like, whoever asked you, you know, like, I don't want to hear that right now. I don't want to, like, just let me complain. Let me vent. But actually, that person loves you more than you think. I mean, maybe they're tiptoeing around you right now, right? They're, they're afraid that you're going to explode on them. But at least they have the guts to say like, hey, you know what? Actually, your perspective, your attitude, what you're thinking right now is off. It's not Christ-centered. You're being selfish right now. How many of us, we've been comforted by that before? Or there's been someone in our lives who's been bold enough to say, you're a sinner, Maybe in nicer words than that. But you're messed up. And there's something about Christ that you're missing right now. There's something about Christ's perspective that you're missing. There's something about his joy that you're missing. There's something about his love that you're missing. How many of us, we have people like that? Or we are those people to others. That we care so much about Christ that our encouragement is to redirect people back to him. Even if it's hard to say, difficult to say. Uh, I mean, personally for me, like, like you, I think many of us may be in this situation. Like, when your life group leader, when your mentor says, hey, let's talk. Let's meet up. And you're like, OMG, what did I do? And like, the next, like, 10 minutes as you think of everything, like the last like two weeks, like everything that I did, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Right? And that's all you can think of. And I remember like, I still get that sometimes, right? I'm like, oh my God, I have to meet Pastor Seth. Oh my NG, what did I do, right? What did I do wrong today? Did I say something in my message that was like off? Did he listen to recordings, you know, like trying to pick out things? I remember like with some of my mentors and disciples when I was in undergrad, like we would meet in the mornings and it would be like a weekly thing. I remember, like waking up every morning at like six thirty or seven a.m. I was like, I don't want to go. You know, like the whole day, the whole time, I'm like, oh, I don't want to get like have this conversation because inevitably, like, oh, I'm gonna realize like something's not right, or like I'm so afraid of being exposed or called out in some kind of way, and oh, I just want to lay in bed. And but then you know, I'm like, okay, I have to go. I have to go. And then so I will go and every single time. I don't know what happens during the conversation. But at the end, afterward, every single time I'm like, Oh, like, I'm so thankful I came. <laughs> I'm so thankful I was there because, like, the, the exposure, the, the areas of my life and my heart that I realized were not in line with Christ. I, every single time I, I it's exposed, I'm like, Wow, I'm so thankful that I did not continue to walk in that way. I'm so thankful that someone cared about me enough that they're willing to, like, show me. They care about me enough that they, they're not content with leaving me in the state that I'm in, the perspective that I'm in. They want me to know Christ more. They want me to have my perspective set on him more than myself. And I, I think every single time, I mean, I still go back. I'm like, oh my God, it's like again in the morning. I have to do this. I have to tell myself over and over again, like, I will remember this like right after that I'm becoming more like Christ. And that is the greatest joy that I have. And as I have experienced that, I want to challenge many of us, not only for us to have a perspective that when we're on the receiving end of encouragement that's of truth, but for us, are we people of encouragement, not just of like pampering people or just massaging people's egos, but to be able to say, hey brother, hey sister, I want to encourage you, I want to comfort you by directing you back to Christ more than anyone else. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he says this, and I think it was really insightful. He says, in religion, as in war and everything else, because we're in a spiritual battle, we're not just, like, you know, we're not just in peacetime, we're constantly waging a war. He says, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with, and in the end, despair. Powerful, right? If we're constantly looking for comfort, what you're going to be left with is the riches of the world that will leave you in despair. It will leave you hungering for something greater because it will never fully be able to satisfy you. It's only truth, the truth of Jesus Christ and how he died for us, a deeply offensive message because he says, the reason I had to die for you is because you're sinful. You don't deserve anything but death. And it offends us. But Christ doesn't leave us there. He says, but yeah, I have redeemed you. I've died for you. I've loved you. Not because you're so great, but because I am so great. That's God speaking. And so I'm wondering, that was what Tychicus and Epaphras, they knew, they understood this. They were beloved brothers. They were faithful ministers of Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage us that we need to know Christ in that kind of way. That our encouragement comes not because we're great, not because we're capable, but because the truth of God is the only real encouragement and comfort that we can really rely on. That's why people of encouragement, we want to be people of encouragement. Because that's how we're going to make a lasting impact on people's lives. The second type of people that make lasting impact on people's lives are people who are selfless. People who are selfless. What are some things that we're unashamed about? That we're like totally like not self-conscious about. When I, when I, when I talk about selflessness, I'm talking about like not being self-conscious about like being crazy for something. You know, oftentimes, like, when we, when we see celebrities, don't raise your hand, how many went to John Mayer concert recently? You're going crazy, okay? You're like, ah, like a little girl, like, oh, my God, it's John Mayer, you know, or Jason Ryan, or whoever it is. You're just, like, going nuts because it's so awesome. It's so amazing. Or, okay, please, again, don't raise your hand. Don't confess. How many of you watched the Pink video that came out recently? It got 56 million views in 24 hours or something like that. I think it broke a record on YouTube. And you're like, wow, you know, like you're watching it alone in your own bedroom, like, oh, you're like so giddy, and you're like so excited. (laughs) And maybe you are a little ashamed to do that in public. Some of you are not, right? You're like, wow, it's so awesome. Okay, how many of you are fans of subtle Asian traits or subtle Christian traits, okay? (laughs) I know many of you are unashamed of this. Like, you bring it up every two seconds in conversation. You're like, oh, hey, did you see that? Ha, 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 ha. It was so funny, right? Right? I'm trying to think of something that's relevant to covenant. Like parents, you like read Paul Tripp's book on parenting. You're like, oh, it's such a great book. You should all read it, you know? (laughs) Awesome. I'm wondering, like, what are the things that we're so, like, not self-conscious about? We're so selfless that, like, because we have this attitude that, like, we make a lasting impact that everyone knows about subtle Christian traits because of us, you know? Like, is there something like that in our lives? And Paul gives some examples of people who Christ was that for them. And because Christ was that for them, their selflessness enabled them to make a lasting impact. Because nothing else mattered. Let's read the next couple of verses, verses 10 to 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning who you received instruction, they come to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. So he mentions a a few names here. I'm going to focus just on two of them. Aristarchus. He was someone originally from Thessalonica. He was a fellow prisoner with Paul. So I guess I don't know why everyone who was associated with Paul eventually goes to prison. So you don't want to associate with him. He traveled with Paul to Ephesus. He was there in Macedonia and Thessalonica. And he even went back to Rome when Paul was like getting attacked by the Jews. And they were bringing him to Rome Rome, Aristarchus was with him, Acts 27, 2. He was almost with Paul in the, the latter years of his life. And the question is, like, what caused Aristarchus to do all that he did? Like, he doesn't get much shout-outs from Paul in this verse, you know? Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, you know? It's like, wow, that's it? Come on, Paul, you know? Like, I've been with you for this long, and that's all you're going to give me? My fellow prisoner he greets you? Like, some of us... um, <laughs> As we've been going through Easter, like, there's a story of the woman who anoints Jesus with perfume, and you know what's written about her? Like, Jesus, or I think the author says something like, I think it's the book of John, he says, wherever the good news is preached, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And you're like, whoa, like, I want to be that woman, you know? Like, she did something amazing for Jesus, and no matter where Christians go, it's going to be, it's it's marked in the Bible, and now she's this awesome woman who now, like, is memorialized forever. And our Aristarchus is like, all I get is five words. Fellow prisoner, I greet you. you know, <laughs> Like what causes him to do what he does? It wasn't for fame. It wasn't for his reputation. It wasn't so that he could get all these accolades and like all these things. He was unashamed about Christ. And doesn't matter if he got all the credit from Paul or not, he went to prison. He followed Paul. He was part of that missionary journey and he did what he did how many of us we've lived for a greater purpose more than just our own purposes some of us we're just living for our own paycheck our own our own grades our own families not that any of those things are bad in and of themselves but bottom line is just we're so selfish that we can't think of our, outside of ourselves because we're constantly focused on our own lives we're never going to make a lasting impact for Christ. You might have your name on some billboards. You might be the next, like, Lee Ka-shing, right, and have your, your name on every building in Hong Kong. But is that going to make a difference for Jesus Christ and his kingdom? What really matters in the end? Let's look at the next person, Mark. Uh, if you look into some of the history, the same person as John Mark. And this is the infamous John Mark who, like, ditched Paul, okay? If you you don't want to ditch someone, you don't want to ditch Paul. Of all people, like, why would you ditch Paul? Yeah, I'd be more scared to ditch Paul than to, like, you know, do anything else. And in Acts 15, verses 37 to 39a, uh, this is the background before. It says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. So literally, John Mark deserted Paul. They were like, hey, let's go to this place. And John Mark's like, I'm out. Peace. Like right when they needed him, he deserted them. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. So Barnabas and Paul, they used to be best buddies. Barnabas was the one who put his foot out for Paul when Paul first became a Christian. And now because of John Mark and his desertion, actually Paul and Barnabas, their friendship was split and affected. That's how serious what John John Mark did affected people. And it's interesting that Paul now in this passage, he says, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, if he comes to you, welcome him. And he mentions, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. They have been a comfort to me. So he's literally saying, John Mark is one of the only people now I have left. So somehow, somewhere along the way, Paul went from like, John Mark sucks and he's useless and get him out of my sight, to he is the, one of the only people who now stands by me. And I know like, oftentimes we're like, wow, Paul is so gracious, you know? That's oftentimes how we read this passage. It's redemption, it's reconciliation. But how many of you have thought about like, what must go, be going through Mark's head? Like, for someone to, like, totally, dis, like, desert the group, like, and for someone to then go back to Paul, it must have been, like, so difficult for a couple of reasons. Usually, like, when we, when we fail or we get ditched, what, what, two, one of two things happen. Number one, either you get really proud and you're like, I didn't need them anyway. I'm too good for them. Or you get really insecure, like, oh, I'm I'm really never, I can never be in that person's presence anymore. I can't do this anymore. It's either pride or or it's actually, or, or pride, actually. It's either pride or insecure version of pride, which are both pride. But what caused Mark to still go back and to be with Paul and to stand with him till the end? he didn't consider it about himself. It wasn't about how good he was. It wasn't about how he failed. It had nothing to do with what happened in the past. John Mark was focused more on, I want to live for Christ. I want to participate in what God has called me to do, and so that's why I'm going to do what I do. I don't care if anyone else, those of the circumcision, that means Paul's referring to Jews. John Mark, he, I don't care how many other Jews don't continue to follow Paul because he believed in what God had called him to do, and because he was there and he experienced Christ, he, he followed and he continued. And that's why he was one of those people that Paul mentioned. These are the only, the only person or one of the only men among my fellow workers who are still working for the kingdom of God. What a, a crazy turnaround for Mark because he didn't make it about himself. He wasn't selfish about his own future, his own dreams, or anything, or own hurts, even. Some of us, like, this is our issue. We, we nurse our own issues. We hold grudges. We get bitter at people. And we make that the bigger thing than God's kingdom. You had a bad experience in a previous life group. You had a bad experience in this life group. And you're like, I'm not going to join life group again. You had a bad LCG experience. Like, oh, I'm never going to do LCG again. You're making it about you. You don't care about Christ. It's all about your comfort, your wants, your selfishness. You don't care if someone else doesn't get saved or not. You're more concerned about your job, your future, your relationship status, your salary, And the scary thing is, Jesus talks about those people who are like, oh, I did all these amazing things for you. And Jesus is like, go away, I never knew you. I'm not saying that to question some of your salvation. But I'm challenging some of us. If we make this life more about our own works, our own deeds, our own righteousness, what we consider as being good and holy, rather than ultimately what is Christ's glory and his kingdom for then we need to do some soul searching, some heart check. And realize if we continue on in this selfishness, then we're never going to be part of God's kingdom. We're never going to make the lasting impact that we want to make. Paul says this in Galatians 2.20 in ESV. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You are dead. You have been crucified with Christ. And we no longer live. It's not about our lives, our futures, our hopes, our dreams. It's about Christ who lives in us. And now everything that we do, the life that we now live in the flesh, that means the the bodily lives that we live now here before we go to heaven. We live what? by faith in the Son of God. We live for Him. We live because of Him. Everything is about Him. Because He loved us and He gave Himself for us. I'm wondering, can we realize that? Realize our lives are no longer our own. It's for for God, for Christ who gave Himself for us. We have to be people who are selfless. The only way we're going to be selfless is if we see Christ who is selfless for us first, for us to make a lasting impact. So that's not only people who are encouragement, people who are selfless, but the last group of people I wanted to share about is people who persevere. People who persevere. I think this is one of the most difficult traits or attributes to actually grow in as, as a person. Right? I, I think for me, like I'm really, really good at starting things, but really, really horrible at finishing things. Okay? And some of us might, like, you you might resonate with that, right? Like, every single January 1st, New Year's resolution, like, we start going to the gym, and this is my favorite thing, especially in the U.S., because gym culture is is much bigger in the U.S. Like, every, like, January 1st, or or actually not January 1st, because everyone's still hanging out and having parties. Like, January 2nd, okay? January 2nd, gyms are packed. And you see all these people, and they, like, you know, because of Christmas and stuff, they have, like, all this new gear. They have, like, the arm wrap for their phones and, like, new AirPods that are, like, wireless. And then they're, like, working on They're getting ready, you know, and they have, like, bought all the nice apps to help them work out. <laughs> if this is you, please, like, I hope I'm not offending you. Um, <laughs> and then what happens is, like, January f- about 15th or 20th rolls around, and then... You Like, like gym is packed in those first couple weeks, and then slowly by February, like, it's back to normal. And then back to, the, by then, like, all the normal gym regulars are like, praise the Lord, finally, all the New Year's resolution people are gone, you know? Like, that's what happens, right? It's so easy for us to start things, but then so hard for us to, like, continue it on or keep it going. For me, another thing, just confession, is, like, reading books. Like, I love starting to read books. I'm like, wow, there's so many books I didn't want to read or I'm supposed to read. And then I start them and I get bored after like a couple chapters. I'm like, oh, this is, other book looks really interesting, right? So there were like a couple times like during my life that I was like reading like four or five books at one time. I'm like, oh, I haven't finished any of them. But the best feeling is like when I finally finished them, I finished all four books at one time. I'm like, yes, hallelujah. It only took me like two or three years to finish like these books, right? <laughs> you know, that's the thing. It's so easy to start things, but so hard to persevere and finish. We're always good starters, but we're horrible finishers. And this is what Paul talks about when he's saying, we want people that persevere, because those who persevere are those who really make a lasting impact. Let's read the last few verses, verses 12 through 17. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayer, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. I don't know how to pronounce that, sorry. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, remember my chains, grace be with you. Sorry, verse all the way to verse 18. And that's the end of the the book. So he mentions, and I'm going to talk about four, five people, just briefly go over just what was it about these people that enabled them to persevere, that enabled them to struggle, to finish, or even be commanded by Paul to finish the work that they started. Epaphras. We know from earlier in the book that Epaphras was actually the person that started the church, or he was the first one to share the good news, the gospel. Paul actually never met the Colossian church, Epaphras traveled to Paul to report to Paul what's going on, and Paul's now writing this letter back. But the amazing thing is Paul has some encouragement for Epaphras. He said he's always struggling on your behalf. He's working hard for you. How many of us, like, like there's a group of people that we care for so much that we're willing to always struggle? In. And struggle wasn't just like, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling like, for this church, I'm struggling. You know, like, no, he's struggling in prayer, he was praying constantly, steadfastly. How many of us, we've persevered in prayer? Even that working hard, it was reference to what? Prayer. And also maybe there were some duties of preaching the word. How many of us, we've persevered in prayer? We said, I will not give up. How many of us, we have parents who are pre-Christian, never believed in Christ, family members, siblings, And you pray for them a couple times, and whenever like you share prayer requests for your family, you're like oh I, you know they're not Christians, so you could pray for me, but you've never prayed for them. You never struggled hard every single day. I know it's hard. I'm on and off. I pray sometimes. I, I like I, I talk to one of my family members. I'm like oh shoot, I should pray again, but it's hard. Luke, Demas, Nympha, these were people who greeted. And if you do some more research, Luke was with Paul to the end as well. It's interesting, Demas, he was, he was uh, I guess, encouraged in this passage, right? He says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. But Demas, eventually what? He fell away. In 2 Timothy 4, 9-10, I don't think it's up there, I'll just read it for us. It says, do your best to meet." this is to Timothy, he says, do your best to come to me quickly, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me, has has gone to Thessalonica. So Paul even now now mentions someone who eventually will desert him. And the reason why he was deserted was because he loved this world. Last person, Archippus. He only says one thing to Archippus. Very interesting. He says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Archippus was actually, most scholars believe that he was Philemon's son or family member. And working in that church, and he was given this ministry, and Paul's encouragement is to fulfill the ministry that you have received. We notice, essentially, kind of what's the theme among these people that Paul is trying to emphasize? We notice the phrases, servant of Christ Jesus in verse 12, and received in the Lord. And then we also remember that Demas, he deserted Paul because he loved this world. What separates someone who perseveres, who struggles hard, who lives to the end, and someone who doesn't? is who they focus on. Epaphras, he was a servant of Christ Jesus. His identity, who he was, everything was for Christ. For Archippus, his calling, the reason why he was encouraged to fulfill it was why? Because his calling, it was received from the Lord. It was because of who God was. Because God doesn't change yesterday, today, and forever. And the reason why Demas, he left was because What? He turned his allegiance from Christ to what? The world. The question for us is now, what is our focus? Of course, if our focus is on the worldly things, we're going to give up. We're going to fall short. We're going to get tired. We're not going to be able to keep going. But if your focus is on Christ, that's the only thing that will allow you to persevere till the end. How many of us, we've been in that job, you're like, I don't know, God, where this job is going. But for whatever reason, you feel like God has given to you this job. That's the only reason that will allow you to still be faithful in that job. It's not your boss, not your colleagues, not the work that you do, definitely not the salary. You're like, heck no. For myself, I, I, people always ask me, like, oh, are you going to stay in Hong Kong Forever? forever, ever? I don't know if I could say that. I know God wants me here as long as he wants me here. And that's like the cop-out answer, right? As long as God wants me here, I'm here, right? But I struggle too. And I think there's so many times where I'm just like, God, I don't know. Can I really do this, pastoral? Thing? Can I really see myself here? There's so much things going on, like opposition from family members and constantly telling me, like, what are you doing? You're so foolish in your life, and the times when I fail, I'm like God. Oh, like, how can I do this? And you know, just it just seems like everything is exploding at the same time. And in those moments, the only thing that I could turn to, the only thing that is solid, the only thing that is rooted in my life, is Christ. That's the only thing I can turn to. That ultimately, I like. It doesn't matter if I if I lose my job. Doesn't matter if I'm no longer a pastor. Doesn't matter if I lose my my relationships doesn't matter if I go on the streets because the only thing I have left is Christ. And that's enough. That literally is enough. I I know it's like crazy, but sometimes it just comes down to that because everything else is failing in that moment. And Christ is the only thing that's enough. The only reassurance, the only hope that allows me to push on. And I'm wondering how many of us, we struggle to finish because Christ is not enough for us. Christ is not our cornerstone. He is not the foundation that we build everything on. And no wonder we give up so easily. No wonder in our prayers we give up so easily. No wonder in our relationships we give up so easily. No wonder in our commitments, in the things that we felt like God wanted us to do. We have, for those of you who are at the retreat, we have dead puppies right now. Many of us. Because Christ has not been our foundation. Oswald Chambers, he writes in this book, My Altmost for His Highest, says, perseverance is more than endurance. It is endurance combined with absolute assurance and certainty that what we are looking for is going to happen. Absolute assurance and certainty. It's not just like bearing through it. But as you have the certainty that what we're looking for, which is ultimate hope and joy in God, that's going to happen. And I think this quote leaves us a little bit hanging. Oswald, you know, what is this absolute assurance and certainty? It's Christ. Christ is our absolute certainty. He is our absolute assurance. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our king. Because he is creator of the universe. He arranged all things. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He knew all the things, all the plans that he has for you. And he created good works in advance for you to do. And many of you, you might know that today is Palm Sunday. And I wanted to tie this in because even as we observe Palm Sunday, it shows us that Christ is our king. And if we know Christ is our king, then we will have full assurance that everything, no matter what happens in our life circumstantially, we will be able to persevere because he is the one who is over everything. I want to read the passage for us from John 12, 12 to 16. This is how we'll close out. It says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. My hope is that this is an encouragement to us. This is the gospel message for us. That our ability to be encouragements, our ability to be selfless, our ability to persevere comes not from ourselves, but it comes because Christ is our King. The disciples, they weren't faithful. In fact, many of the disciples from this passage, you know what, they fell away. They, they abandoned Jesus. Some of them, who knows, they might have participated in crucifying Jesus. But that did not stop Jesus from being faithful. That did not stop Jesus from going to the cross. That did not stop Jesus from rising again from the dead and saying, now you have eternal life if you have faith in me. And not only do you have eternal life, now you have the privilege of walking and being a part of my kingdom, because now Jesus is king, and if we're part of his kingdom, then we are the privilege of walking with him in his kingdom to make an impact on people around us. That is the good news. It's not just that we're just saved, but now we get to participate in his work. And that's why the one thing for us this morning is that those who make a lasting impact are those who make Christ ultimate. Those who make a lasting impact are those who make Christ ultimate. I want to give us some next steps for us to live it out this week. Number one, elevate Christ as king of your life. Elevate Christ as king of your life. If Christ is not king of your life, if your desire is not to obey him, not to follow him, not to be like him, then there's no way that you're going to be an encouragement, that you're going to persevere, you're going to be selfless. You're just going to be living in your own sin hole for the rest of your life. Sorry, dramatic language. Make him king. Reevaluate. Reflect. Talk to someone that you trust. Like, how can I see Christ as my ultimate treasure? What helped you? Second one, encourage someone this week. Just like the first point we talked about, being an encouragement, being a comfort to someone. Don't just pat them on the back and just stroke their ego, but speak truth. Love on them. Point them back to Christ so that ultimately they make Christ king. Lastly, let's expect God to work this Easter. Let's expect him to work this Easter. When we think about Easter, it's just one weekend. But if we think about making this lasting impact, what are the things that we can look forward to you know, I'm wondering if the very basic thing that we could do is have an expectation. I, I think this is the ultimate test for us. For many of us, we've been part of our church. Maybe we've gone to retreats before, and we are so much more excited for that retreat or that gathering than we are for Easter. But what would it be like if we say, wow, God, I believe you're going to do something amazing, incredible? Like, forget Easter. How about Good Friday? How many of you believe that some of our friends, are willing to come on Good Friday. Many of us, we don't believe that. But year every single year, we have newcomers on Good Friday. Every single year. It's our lack of faith. We need to elevate our expectations for God to work this Easter and believe that on Easter, as we declare God's truth and his gospel, people are going to come to know Christ. As we have baptism, we share testimonies. It's going to be a powerful encounter for people to be like, wow, maybe God is real. And so let's do that. Let's expect God to work this Easter. I wanted to close out with this video. It's kind of a montage of um, just different videos on YouTube, but just a a central message of, you know, how are you going to make an impact with the rest of your life? And for us, there's a couple weeks left of the season in our ministry. Life groups are ending soon. Uh, finals are coming up, work is getting busier. There's so many things that are going on. But what does it look like for us to make that impact in these next couple weeks? Let's not just fizzle out, but let's run hard to the end and finish well. Let's watch this video together. We close. out together. Can we stand as we close out together? I know much time has gone by, but let's let's shift our perspective. Let's change our mindset. That the purpose, the reason why we're here, is not for ourselves. It's not for these earthly dreams. But at the end of our lives, can we say I've li- I've lived well? I've lived for God. That I can rejoice at the end and know that I've made an impact on people for Jesus Christ. And that's all that matters. There's nothing else that matters. Can we earnestly say that? Say, God, I want to experience that. I want to be part of that. So can we just for the next minute or so, just make that our inward declaration. If you want to pray out loud, that's fine. Just begin to say, God, that's what I want. That's why I desire. Help me to be that person. Help me to make Christ my all. Help me to know that he is the, the king, my king over the whole universe, that there's no one like him. And as we treasure him more, then that's how we're going to become the people that we want to be, people that are, are encouraging, people that are selfless, people that persevere. We're going to be surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, just like Paul wrote about all these people around us. because of Christ. Can we just do that for the next minute? Let's just pray loud enough for ourselves to hear, and then we'll respond in some worship. Let's pray together.